guys, welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Career. I'm your host, Jennifer Ong, and in this podcast, I interview people who have taken a leap of faith and pursued an alternative career path in Asia. Before I get started today, I'd just like to let you guys know that I do have a one-on-one career coaching program. So if you are feeling unfulfilled or not so happy at your corporate job and looking to find a job that's more fulfilling, then send me a message on Instagram at ongjennifer underscore or via LinkedIn. I love to see how I can help. All right, let's get into today's episode. Today, I'm super excited to have Christina Wong here with us. Christina is the founder of 10X Study Academy, a company that creates online courses to help students study better. But before she started all of this, Christina actually studied at Imperial College in London and worked as a junior doctor. So how did she go from being a doctor to starting an online study course that has almost generated seven figures in sales in less than a year? I'll hand over to Christina now to share her story. Hi, Christina. Thanks for being on the podcast. Super excited to have you here today. So I thought we'd start all the way at the beginning and just hear a little bit about your own career journey. I know that you grew up in Hong Kong. You went to university at Imperial where you studied medicine. What made you decide to study medicine? One of the earliest memory I have as a child was that I wanted to study medicine and become a doctor. It's like a childhood dream. <laughs> Actually, I went to the UK partly because I wanted to study medicine. Got it. So after you graduated from medicine, you were a doctor for a couple of years in London. How was that? Did you enjoy that? Oh, that was amazing. <laughs> It was definitely one of the best time in my life. It was my childhood dream coming true. And I love every part of it. I met some really good friends and I had a really good team. So it was a really, really good experience. As a doctor in the UK, do you have to do rotational program for a couple of years before you specialize? How, how does that all work? Yeah, so you kind of do a two years rotations. It's called your foundation years. Then you become fully licensed. And once you become fully licensed, you could work at different part of the world. It makes it easier. And that's also the time you start applying for specialty trainings. Mm. As junior doctor in UK, you get to rotate around different specialty. My favorite one was A&E. I really, really enjoyed emergency medicine. When I was young, I wanted to be a volunteer doctor because I thought joining the MSF is the coolest thing ever. The doctors without border. Mm -hmm. So I've always wanted to be an emergency doctor. That's so interesting that this is like something that you wanted to do. I think not a lot of people who study medicine or become doctors would say that they actually want to be an army doctor in a war zone. So you basically finished your two years as a junior doctor in, yep. in London. It seems like you were really, really interested in being a doctor and mm. was very committed to that being your career, right? Mm. But now we know that you've started a very successful company doing <laughs> online courses. So kind of wanted to understand at that point in your career, you know, two years in as mm. a junior doctor, what were you thinking? So after two years is actually a really common practice for doctors to take a gap year because this is the time before they decided to apply for specialty trainings. Normally, they would spend like a year in Australia or South Africa and stuff. For me, I actually wanted to move back to Hong Kong to spend time with my family because I've been away for so long and I really miss them. And my parents were getting old. Going to Hong Kong, the application takes about a year. I need to do a few exams. So I just thought, oh, that is kind of my exam year slash gap year when I get to travel around Asia because I never really have the chance to travel around Asia. So basically you were like, okay, I definitely want to move back to Hong Kong. And in order for you to practice as a doctor in Hong Kong, you need to take some conversion exams. And you were thinking of taking a year to just take those conversion exams so that you could then be a doctor and practice in Hong Kong. Yeah, that's right. That was the plan. Got it. Got it. <laughs> so what actually happened? What happened? I'm not sure whether you have heard of it, but that was COVID. 
So in the year COVID happened, I was in Hong Kong at the time, and the situation was absolutely crazy. Everyone was buying out toilet paper. We were so worried. We wasn't sure what's happening. This new disease that no one's have heard of. My family thought that Hong Kong seems a bit dangerous. So I went to Singapore to stay with my friends because you know the rest of the world was safe at the time. I went to Singapore thinking that it would be a one two months holiday. And I somehow find myself in a lockdown in Singapore. I was studying really hard every day. For me, I lived in like a pre-exam period for a really long time because I was studying every day for a really long time, and then they keep canceling the exam in Hong Kong. So besides studying and working as a doctor, I've always have a side hustle. I really like to teach. So at the time, I was doing medical school admission consulting. I was helping people to get into medical school as a passion project. And how did you get started doing that? When I was in secondary school, like I'm talking about 13, 14, I used to be a really terrible student. <laughs> To the extent that I failed seven subjects in school and had to go to a new school, repeat a year. If you speak to people in my secondary school, no one would ever believe that I would become a doctor one day. But luckily, I met some really good mentors that taught me how to study. So that was like a complete changing point in my life. That was the point I went from hating studying, doing really badly, failing everything, into you know my results started getting better and becoming like a top student. So for me, that was when my interest in teaching started. I was like, wow, you know, studying could be fun. There's a new, different way to study. So I always got really passionate about teaching people how to study. I started off with my friends, then they refer all the younger siblings to me. So that's something I've always been doing. Ever since I got into medicine, people are like, "How did you get into medicine?" and ask me for advice. And because of that, I started helping people to get into medical school. I had the opportunity to become an interviewer for Imperial Medical School, so that really helped me to gain a lot more insights about how the whole admission process works. And I was quite lucky in the sense that almost everyone I helped got into med school. I suddenly got a lot of referrals, like their friends, their younger siblings, all came to me to ask me to help them to get into medical school. So that's how I kind of pivoted from tuitioning into specializing in helping people get into medical school. Okay, so you started off with just like, tutoring people on subjects in school, and then mm. later on went into school admissions kind of consulting. Did you? Start charging people there as well, and how did you think through pricing there? Okay, for medical school admission, I I have started charging people. I didn't really think about pricing at the time. Well, when I first started, my friends were just like offering to pay me to tutor their younger siblings. They were paying me five pounds per hour. <laughs> I was like, "Wow, you're giving me so much money for doing something I love." <laughs> And I remember feeling really guilty all the time. I would spend those money to buy my friends lunch. In fact, I think they got a really good deal too. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> like I wasn't thinking of it at all. I was just like, oh, I loved it. So you started off with just helping out friends and friends of friends. I guess I was just wondering, in those early days, how did you get your first like paying customer? Okay, my first paying customer was actually from a talk that I gave. He came to ask whether or not I could help his child get into medicine, and he would offer me a price. And I remember thinking, "What? That's too much!" <laughs> no, and I cut down the price. I think because I am someone who has always wanted to get into medicine, so I know how it feels to really want to get into medicine and really want to live out your dream. And to me, if someone wants to get into medicine, I want to help. I want to help them to make them dream comes true. So initially, that wasn't really a pricing problem. I was like, I don't need to get paid that much, you know. I would help your son irregardless. But then they were very nice; they insisted on paying. But I later on did increase my pricing, is because I realized it was a lot of work. <laughs> And when you charge someone, the situation—it's actually changed quite a lot because you are becoming a lot more responsible. So I was starting to realize maybe I do deserve to get paid. <laughs> maybe I have to get paid for the work I did. And sometimes the application timeline and their exams coincide with my exam timeline. So I actually have to take out quite a lot of time. It was a commitment. So I started charging properly after that. 
at the time, I raised my fries because I wanted to reject a student. I was like, I really don't have this much time to take up so much students. So I decided to raise my fries really high. And I thought that they would just back off. But no, they were like, yeah, sure, please help. <laughs> I even feel that after I started charging a high price, people are even more eager to take lessons. And students pay a lot more attention in lessons because I think they value it. Parents are a lot more grateful after I charge a high price. Ah, I think that's a very interesting thing to reflect on. Like when you pay more for a service, mm. you feel like you are also subconsciously getting more value out of it. 100%. That is the first time I realized charging high price would actually help the student do better. Because they're way more committed. Previously, they know that I'm busy. They know that I'm a doctor. They know that I have other commitments. But sometimes they will still reschedule. But my schedule really doesn't allow me to reschedule any of your lessons. <laughs> I cannot set aside time and you tell me that you cannot turn up. I started charging a really high price and I'm like, let's not waste each other time. If you really have to schedule last minute, then I'll have to charge you for it. Mm-hmm. Then I realized student attitude actually becomes so much better. I never have problem with student being late. My student is always five to 10 minutes there before my lessons. Mm-hmm. They would always finish their homework and go above and beyond. The quality of my student are excellent. Ah, interesting. I think that's very, very fascinating. Because actually, like, if you think about it, the course content probably isn't that different, but it's just like they feel like, okay, if I'm ready to commit this amount of money, I better put in the amount of so that I get the most value out of it. I definitely think so. And I think it changed their perception of values. It's like if you have a $10 bag versus you have a $10,000 bag. You would never put your $10,000 bags on the floor. You would be like, I don't want it to get scratched, even though they're actually the same bag. The pricing really changed your perception of values. And I realized in learning when their perception of value change, they actually get so much more out of that. And because I had such limited time, right? I end up getting to a stage that pricing wasn't enough. I have to select which student I take in mm-hmm. because there is a limited number of students I can take in. Mm-hmm. And I'm like really really strict to them. I tell them that if you're not putting in 100%, then I'm going to take on other students because there are other students who want to get into medicine more than you. I want to help the person who wants to get into the most. I think that speaks a lot to also your confidence in your program, as well as your ability to get students in and not downplaying the value that you bring to the table as well. I think a lot of the times that people have imposter syndrome where they're like, oh, I'm not sure. Can I even say this to the student? Am I going to come off as being rude? Or am I even able to get the student into the right schools and stuff? So I think this also speaks a lot of coming from a position of confidence as well. Well, I'm actually quite proud of my track record. (laughs) Like I actually have 100% rates of getting students into the university they want. Like I'm talking about Cambridge, Oxford, Imperial and UCL for medicine. And I'm confident because one of the students I helped, his predict degree was three C's. That was no A. And I still managed to help him to get into one of the best medical school. So I'm quite confident in my ability of helping them out. Cool. Okay. So I know we deep dived into this a lot, (laughs) but I want to bring us back towards your career journey. Going back to your gap year where you were based in Singapore studying for exams and Mm -hmm. uh, the exams kept getting canceled. What were you thinking during that period of time? When COVID broke out in UK, the first thought I was just like, I have to go back to UK now. I faced a lot of resistance from my parents from going back. Because they were worried about the COVID situation there. Because they were worried. I I actually had so many fights with my parents. I feel really responsible. And up until now, it's still something that really haunts me that I wasn't there with my friends fighting the situation. But my family would absolutely not let me go back. The gap year turned out to be one of the most difficult times in my life. I was stuck in Singapore. Singapore had a really hot lockdown. We were not allowed to go out. I was just at home every day studying. What really kept me going and was my happiest moments during those times was coaching my students. Because I had more time, I was able to take on a few more students. During the COVID time, those were my happiest moments. Seeing my students, talking to my students, seeing how much they've improved. And yeah, that was really, really nice. Okay, then how did the course thing come about? So what happened was I was getting a lot of requests. A lot of people wanted me to coach them, but 
I felt like I had limited ability to coach so many students because taking on the students is a lot of responsibility. And I wanted to make sure that they get into the math school. And I know that I would be too burned out if I take on too many students. I was really frustrated that I couldn't help more people. But at the same time, I don't want to sacrifice the teaching quality for the student I already have. Once I coach a few students, I realize a lot of the things that I have to go through is quite repetitive. So I was wondering what could be an efficient way that could help me reach out to more people to limit the effort on my side. Because those informations are repetitive. How could I deliver it in a way that is efficient and effective for both me and my students? Got it. Got it. So it's more like scaling so that you could be a lot more efficient with your time. So you were then able to take on a lot more students and be able to help a lot more people. It's very interesting that you decided to start a course on teaching students how to how to study, which is actually from the outside, at least a little bit different from Mm. what you would expect you to go into. So was there a reason why you decided not to do a course on, you know, getting into med school? That's an interesting question. I didn't think of them as different thing at the time. <laughs> I think that's probably because of my personal background. Like I went from a really bad student to becoming a good student. So for me, my challenge in getting into medicine was always how could I improve my results? And I know there are a lot of people out there who really want to get into medicine, but they couldn't get the results they wanted. So I thought, okay, in order to help people to achieve their dreams, what they need is to get better at they're studying. And as I'm teaching students, I find that a lot of this is the repetitive part. I was thinking of how I could share the same information to different students without having to repeat myself. And I thought, oh, okay, I could record it. (laughs) Initially, I wasn't really thinking of online course. I was thinking of recording the contents to show my students and then talk it through them. So it was like a recorded component and then a one-to-one component. Mm. And I thought that doesn't make sense. Let me just send all the videos to all my students to make sure they watch it. And then they could come back to me with any questions. I think in a way that was the beginning of the online course, me trying to save time for my students and try to teach them in the most effective way. How did that evolve into a proper online course where you actually started Mm. charging customers for So I think it was a point when I reached the number of students and I keep having to reject students. It's really heartbreaking. That was the push that, okay, I really need to record some of my content to help these people. Sometimes they ask me questions and I'll start sending them some of the recordings and they'll be like, oh, this is really helpful. This is really good. So it kind of started from that. The demand of students was the thing that pushed me to build my online course. Because at a time I was just like, okay, I'm going to go back to medicine next year. I would not have as much time. (laughs) So that was really my drive. I feel like I could build an online course within a few months. Let me just push it over, finish it so that I could get back to medicine and still be helping people. Got it. And how did you know how to build an online course? The moment I realized I wanted to build an online course, I started Googling and watching a lot of videos. And that way, I find a lot of online courses that teach people how to build online courses. At the time, I still think that I only have a few months before I get back into medicine. So I always felt like I was raising against time. I thought the most efficient way to learn about how to build an online course is to buy a course that teaches you how to build an online course. So I bought a bunch of courses and kind of learned from them. Got it. Got it. And were you thinking like, hey, I'm going to invest X dollars into these courses so that I can like build this up as quickly as possible? The reason I ask this question is because I think a lot of the times people are like, oh, I can just figure this out myself. Just Mm. trial and error, watch some free YouTube videos and Mm. not invest the money into buying a course that teaches (laughs) them how to make courses, right? So I wanted to understand from your perspective, how did you think through the investment? Because I know some Mm. of these courses can be pretty expensive, that's a really good question. Initially, I definitely went down to, yeah, I'm going to do it free. Let me watch YouTube videos. <laughs> but then I come across some really good videos and those are from people who has built online course themselves. Those are from people who are selling online course, teaching people how to build online course. And I find them very inspiring and I feel like I want to learn from them. So it wasn't a decision that, oh, I should put aside money to do this. It was like I was watching all the videos and I find those really good content. 
And as an educator myself, I really value good teaching. I really want to learn from them. So that was my first course. I remember paying for it, and I was like, "Wow, that's a lot of money." But then, what pushed me over the fence was that I think if I want to build online course, I must understand how it feels to be a student. Like I have to see it from a student perspective in order for me to build a good online courses that student would enjoy. Because I was still really foreign to the idea of online course. I'm like, how could people get so much value? Because I'm someone who really enjoy that one-to-one time with my students. I think you know it's great to talk to students and be able to solve their problems. In my head, I. Still didn't really believe in online course, and I know for me to really believe in online course, I have to be a student once. I need to understand why people would buy, and I need to test it out for my students. Does online course actually work? If I do the course and I realize, you know what, I don't think online course really work, then I wouldn't do it myself.、Mm-hmm. And honestly, it was. One of the best decision I've ever made. One of the main difference between free contents and a paid online course is that an online course is way more structured. It could actually help you go from point A to point B. I think this is very difficult with free contents because you don't actually know what you need to know. You're at a stage where you don't know what you don't know, so it's impossible to learn everything you need from free resources. Secondly. Once you pay that money, you put in the commitment. As I mentioned from my own experience, I find that students who pay a lot more because they make the decision to pay that kind of money. That was what pushed them over the fence to become a top quality students. So I thought, if I am really committed to the idea, what is the most important thing in my life? Time. <laughs> like if I'm truly committed, I don't want to don't do it well. <laughs> That's such a great point because I also try to tell a lot of my own career coaching clients about this because a lot of people are like, "Oh, I can figure out like my career by myself. Why do I need to get a career coach?" There's so much YouTube videos out there that I can watch or like blogs that I can read about and things I can、mm. do by myself for free. But I completely、mm. agree with what you're saying, right? You can do it for free yourself, but you don't know what you don't know, and it's very hard for you to be able to get from point A to point B because you don't even really know what your point B looks like. So how are you going to be able to structure all of this free content out there yourself、mm. to be able to get yourself there? So the content is personalized to you、mm. as well, whereas like a lot of the free content out there is just generic content that can apply to everyone. Online course is quite an interesting topic. I definitely don't want to learn how to build an online course from someone who doesn't have an online course. If I want to learn how to build an online course, I want to learn from someone who have done it and done it well.、Mm. Cool. Okay, so you basically took this online course and you created your own course. Tell us a little bit about、yeah. that very first course that you built. It was really hard. Doing an online course is actually a really lonely process. <laughs> Teaching is a lot easier in comparison because when you teach, you get feedback right away. And you know whether or not it's good. When you build an online course, you will start having a lot of imposter syndrome. Is this good enough? Is this what people want to learn? And you cannot get feedback right away. I think that's super important to honestly know what your customers want, and that's actually something that a lot of my guests in the show always frequently talk about. Whether it is,、mm. you know, building an app or creating a product, it's all about、mm. okay. Once I've built this, I need to go out and test it with a customer. What does the customer think? Is it resonating with、mm. the customer? If it's not resonating with the customer, I got to iterate it and make it better so、mm. that it's something that will be useful、mm. for the customer. Because at the end of the day, you can create like a beautiful product, a beautiful、mm. online course, but if no one cares about it, then no one's going to buy it. So I think it's very, very interesting that that was something that you noticed pretty early on as well. And I actually make a lot of adjustment to my course from the beginning to now. Like when I started off, I was always like, "How could I pack the most amounts of content, make it most valuable for students?" I packed in so much stuff, like really, really high quality stuff, really high level research. But then I showed it to my students, and I realized that's not what they needed the most. <laughs> I think it's very easy to go into the most difficult things. But sometimes, what people need is actually the most basic thing, the most、mm-hmm. fundamental things. So I actually have to take out a lot of contents that took me ages to research and just go back to the basic because I realized that's what students wanted the most. I recreated a course many times before it officially first launched. 
So a lot of the content I created was never actually used in the real online courses. I think the first course I released ended up having about three hours of content. And that was trimmed down from 10 hours of content. Because I realized when they have too much information, students don't actually want to learn. And sometimes when it's too much for them, they just switch off. So that was like, after showing it to a lot of students, getting their feedback, I trim it down to a very simplified version. So did you test it with your own students? I definitely test some of the contents with my students. <laughs> so for example, I use analogy a lot to help people understand different things. So I definitely test a lot of those analogy with my students and see which one they resonate the best with. But then I just write out, test it on the market. So I build a landing page and I use Facebook ads to drive people to the landing page. I'm interrupting my very own episode to let you guys know that I have a career coaching program designed to help you go from lost and frustrated with your corporate job to living and crushing your dream career. So if you two want to build a fulfilling, purposeful career, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at ongjennifer underscore or reach out to me via LinkedIn. Details are in the show notes to today's episode. In the meantime, if you're not exactly sure what your dream career looks like, I am sharing my three-step framework to help you find your passion. This framework has helped me and my clients in tech, law, consulting, finance, and more figure out and identify their dream career. Want it? Check out the show notes to today's episode to download the free guide now. All right, back to the episode. So tell us a bit more about that. Was the course free at that point when you're testing it out with them? Oh, no, uh, the course was never free because I don't want to be one of those free course that people download but never watch. For me, it's always very important that I need students to pay for it because what I've learned from my experience is that people value what they pay for. Honestly, if I could give it free and people would still want to learn it, I would totally give it up free. But I just know the reality for people to cherish it and to really learn and make the most out of it, they have to be committed. And one of this commitment is by paying money. So we always have to pay for the course initially. But I did start out with a very low launching price. I think it was 97 USD dollars when we first started launching because I wanted to test the market and I know that we could always increase the price afterwards. I just want to test whether or not this is something that people wanted because it's quite a new idea. I feel like in Asia, we're so used to sending our kids to, oh, your chemistry is bad. Let me send you to chemistry tuition. But it's a foreign and novel idea to be like, oh, your chemistry is bad. Maybe it's not your chemistry. Maybe it's the way you study. Let me teach you how to study. So I definitely want to see how the market responded to that. Okay. So what was the reception like? Overwhelmingly good. (laughs) So I was quite surprised. Like I thought it would be a lot harder. I thought it would take a lot more time. I thought I would have to do a lot of free content to attract people to go on to the course. But the response was really good. It turns out that this is something that people are interested in. Obviously, I have to tune my marketing messages a few times. Initially, I was like, you know, do you want to get into medicine? This is what you need. Because I'm so used to people wanting to get into medicine and wanting to work hard for it. But then later on, I realized more people would resonate with, do you want to get better results? This is what you need to do. This is how you should study. Got it. So initially, when you first built this, it was more aimed towards students who were studying to get into medicine. But then you actually yeah. realized that your course was actually applicable to all, all types of students, even students that were not interested in medicine, but just wanted to get better grades. Just- At the time, I started getting referral for students who doesn't want to get into medicine, but they wanted to get my help. And I was just like, oh, Why? And it was because they saw how much their friends improved in their grades. And then that was the first time I realized that, oh, I'm a study coach. (laughs) I'm not just a a mission consultant. Got it. So you've launched this course. You got really good reception. Are you open to sharing how many people Mm. downloaded your course when you first launched? I don't really remember the numbers and how many people that we sold to. If you ask me what kind of question people write in, then I could answer the <laughs> questions. Because to me, I'm always worried about our students getting out much out of it. 
Are they learning from it? Are they benefiting from it? What are the questions they have? What are the things I could improve on? That was honestly my biggest worry for the first six months. Is it really helping people? I'm so nervous about the online course. I want to call up each students and be like, "How do you find it?" After I launched the course, it wasn't a product that I'm extremely happy with. So after I launched the course, I went back to keep improving the course. Okay. And how did you get feedback for the course? Oh, so very luckily, a lot of people email us. And they said some really nice feedback about what they've learned, and also people would write in to ask questions. Actually, when I first launched the course, I used to do a weekly Q and A so that I could hear back from the students. Okay, makes sense. I think that's a very nice way of getting feedback. Actually, not really. Okay, <laughs> okay. I I realized it was not a good way at all. Really interesting. Um, Because not many people tune in. Ah, oh, to the <laughs> and Q&A. if they do, they don't really go and ask questions on Q and A. They oh. would then go back and email me questions. I see, because I guess people are quite shy. I can see that they are. And initially, my I was only marketing it in Asia, so I think that was probably one of the reasons. Okay, so I know that you then expanded into two other courses. So now you have three courses on your mm. platform, right? Tell us a little bit more about why you decided to expand into more courses. Let me talk about what those three courses are first. Uh, number one is an advanced memory course that help people build on their memory, how to remember more, how to remember better, how to make memorizing really fun. That was the shortest course we have. The second course we have, which is also the first course we launch, is the study techniques course, which teach them what are the four fundamentals of studying. So that is designed to boost people to really get better in their studying, boost their grades in the shortest time by giving them an efficient system. And the last course we have is the mindset course. The mindset course is always the one that I'm most passionate about because mindset is actually the most important thing behind everything. If you don't believe you could do well, even if you have the best opportunity, best resource in this world, you wouldn't do well. If you have a strong mindset, believing in yourself, and really striving to achieve what you want, you would do well no matter what the circumstances is. You know, if there is a will, there is a way. So mindset course is something that I really wanted to teach. That is always like my ultimate aim. But the reason I did the study techniques course first is because I thought those skills are a lot more. In a way, teachable. I haven't discovered a system of how I could teach people to have a positive mindset well earlier on. So I thought I would start with something easy because teaching people how to study is actually not hard. Studying is skills that people could just learn, and there's steps and system that they could follow. But with mindset, I needed more time to learn how to teach that. So you asked me why did I expand it onto those courses? I started with the course that I'm most confident in teaching. Then I built up the mindset course, which is something that I'm most passionate about. And for the advanced memory course, it was because from people's feedback, a lot of people were writing in. They're like, "Oh, I just want to learn how to improve my memory. Can you teach me more on that?" So that was completely based on feedback. So I put that into the advanced memory course, where I was. Able to be a little bit nerdy about neuroscience and how our brain work, and I know that that's what people are there for. Got it. And how long would you say you take to build one of these courses? The absolute time from the moment I put it down on pen and paper and be like, I'm going to build a course that drafting contents to building it is a few months. Actually, I could also say it's like 10 years of teaching experience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I think building the course may not take a long time, but actually having the content and understanding all of this, like. Required so many years of experience. Mm-hmm. Actually, yes and no. I think what people don't realize is that when they're beginner, they actually have the most to offer. So even with people who are like one, two years into it, they share so many similar experience, and they are probably in the best position to help other beginners. Mm-hmm. So if I could go back to ten years ago when I was a struggling student and you know starting to learn how to study, I feel like I would probably be able to build an even better course than now because that was when I really understand other students. I think people need to understand that when they're starting out, whenever they learn something, they really need to record that journey. And what they learn is extremely valuable. 
I think, again, this is so interesting, right? Because I think a lot of the times people are like, you really need to understand your customer's pain point to be able to build a really good product. Exactly. Like, you really need to understand mm. and put yourself in the shoes of your customer and try to understand exactly what that problem is that you're trying to solve for them. And that's the best way for you to be able to build a successful yeah. product because you are clearly solving Completely. their problem. Completely. People shouldn't be like, oh, I don't have 10 years of experience yet. I should wait. No. If you just learn it, you're actually in the best position to teach. And I could guarantee you the moment you start teaching, that is the quickest way to learn. Yeah, because sometimes it's also hard for you to learn from someone who's so many years down the road from you. Yeah. They're less approachable, for example, or they may have forgotten some of the struggles that you are going through. So I think very, very interesting point to highlight there. I can always say that my strength, the reason why I connect well with students, why I could bring out the results to students, is not because you know I'm a top student. It's because I was a failing student. I completely understand how it feels to hate studying, how it feels to cry and not want to study. I completely understand that experience. And I think that was what makes me, in a way, a good teacher because I could understand how the students feel. And I know like what they needed to motivate them out of that situation. And the fact that seeing someone who did so much worse than them failing seven subjects kind of give them hope, you know? <laughs> it's true. Like, if like, you can do it, maybe I can do it too. Yeah. And it's totally not because of my experience, like how much I've learned and stuff. It's because my failing experience is actually what encouraged people the most. So I always think if you want to teach, don't wait until you're an expert. Like, you're an expert now. Like, teach them now. There's so much you could offer right now. And I think that's such an encouraging thing to say. A lot of times we are the main person that's standing in our own way. We are mm. the person that's blocking us from success. We yeah. think that we need to have so many years of experience before we can even think about teaching someone something when actually, no, you have mm. lots of experiences that you've built up over your lifetime that you can then go on and, and teach people about. Okay, so I'm going to take a step back and just see how all this kind of connects to the broader career story that you've built. So COVID lasted, you know, two years, you kind of put your plans to be a doctor kind of on hold, you started this course, and this course honestly saw really, really strong success. You've made mm. six figures in sales just in a very short amount of time and just six months or so, which is honestly so amazing. <laughs> My team just told me that we are on track to hit a million quite soon. Hopefully That's amazing. Oh my yeah. God, congratulations. Wow. I, I am so stunned. I, I can't believe this. <laughs> oh my God. That's so great. <laughs> On that point, what do you think was the main driver of your success? How do you think you were able to hit this million dollars in you know less than a year's time? I think I can't pinpoint what it is that brings me to where I am today because it comes up a surprise to me as well. But if I were to reflect and think back about what I've done, is from the beginning, I always know what I wanted to achieve. I wanted to help students get better results. I bought a course that I learned a lot from people experience. I think that saved me a lot of time because they have already tested out a lot of different methods. They already find out what works well and what doesn't work well. And I am there just, you know, taking a few years of learning experience. Although the course is expensive, but it's probably the best value stuff I've ever bought. Because that saved me a few years of time. I actually think it's quite helpful that I never look at the numbers because I'm quite a competitive person. If I start looking at a number, I'll probably get demoralized really soon. There are times when things that are not working very well, but because I'm only focusing on the products, like I'm only focusing on how the students receiving it. I don't need to think about all those worries. So I didn't really need to have the up and down journey. But that's another really interesting point is like you were very focused yeah. on just doing something because I think sometimes it's very easy for people to overthink and try to overanalyze yeah. every situation and try to consider like, oh, what if I did this instead? Or what if I did that? And actually throughout this process, you're wasting yeah. a lot of time overthinking instead of actually creating the course itself. So I think actually that's a really, really great point that you brought up, which is focus and just executing and, and creating something. And I think don't get distracted. A lot of people dive into, oh, what's the best way to do online course? 
Honestly, just find someone who has done well, someone who resonates with you and learn from them. I think that's really, really good advice. So I wanted to ask you, your business has done super, super well in such a short amount of time. Honestly, the amount of money that has come in is enough for you to not think about being a doctor, actually. Would this be something you would ever consider pursuing as your full-time career? Or are you still thinking that you would want to go back into being a doctor? Oh, definitely going back to being a doctor. <laughs> like 100%, that's no doubt. Being a doctor has always been my dream. It brings me so much joy. Like to me, I really need that human connections. I don't think the number makes that much of a difference to me. My life hasn't changed at all. I'm still living the same way I did. I miss seeing patients in hospital and I really miss everyone that I worked with. One of the reasons I built the online course was I was thinking about if I were to go back to medicine, how could I keep that going? I was really thinking about what would be sustainable when I go back to medicine. So I really build it in a way that it will run very smoothly, even if I go back to a full-time medical job. But my dilemma is... Do I stay in Asia with my parents? Because I actually haven't seen my parents for the last two years when I was intending to spend two years with them. So I think now that I have more financial ability, what I really want to do is just to spend more time with my family first. Because my, I think my, oh my God, I'm going to cry. My parents also have a few health problems. So that is my priority now. I'm really grateful that I started this so that I have the financial freedom, actually. And this can basically kind of run by itself without you spending a lot of time on it. Once yeah. the courses are up and running, then it's more just about maintenance and getting new customers on board. I guess the getting new customers on board, is that a full-time role or is that also pretty automatic? Everything is automatic. I could go to Africa for a month and live in a Ferrari with a phone with no signal. And I know that things would still be the same when I come back. As I say, I thought I was going to go back to medicine. So ever since the beginning, I would think about how could I outsource it? How could I be out of system so that it would run on its own? Actually, this has been a really great use of the time off that you've had. You've kind of built up an additional <laughs> revenue stream for yourself so that you have the financial freedom to go do whatever it is that you want, whether it is becoming a doctor or just spending more time with your family. Do you think you're going to create more courses at this point or you feel like actually three courses is good? Just let this thing keep running by itself and for you to spend your time and effort on other things? I'm actually about to release my new course because <laughs> ah. a lot of my good friends keep asking me, how do I build this online course? And I thought, oh, you know, this is so great. I want to help more people do it. I want to help more people achieve financial freedom. So I'm currently building a course on teaching people how to achieve what I did, basically. That's amazing. And are you launching in the next month or so? I should be launching somewhere in September or October. Woo, very good. Okay. So I guess after this course launches, do you think that you're going to take a break from all of this or what's your longer term plan? Honestly, with COVID, it's impossible to plan. I'm still planning to go back to see my family. That's my next big thing. wanted to ask you, was there anything that you took away from your time in medicine that you feel like really helped you in terms of like building up this very successful online course? That's a very interesting question. <laughs> I think learning medicine put me in a very humble position because medicine is a career where you have to constantly learn. So maybe that put me in a position where I feel like I'm a lifelong learner. There's always someone better to learn from. And I'm always looking out for people to learn from because I feel like if I didn't buy the online course that taught me how to do online course, I would never be able to do what I'm doing today. I'll probably still be struggling and thinking about what I want to do. So I think that's the first thing. Secondly, probably time management skills. Because in medicine, there's always a deadline. Like you're always in a rush. You always have to do things within a certain time limit. So that put me in a position that I'm so used to be like, okay, I have to get it done by this day. I was set a lot of artificial deadline for myself and be like, I don't care that I hated how I look in a video. Like I have to get a video done today. So that put me in that kind of time management mentality. One of the things that I feel like you are really good at that I've picked up on in this conversation is your ability to execute, right? I think for, for a lot of people, that's probably the hardest part. They have an idea. They're like, oh, I want to start an online course, but then they get overwhelmed by 
all the things that come with starting an online course. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's one of the key strengths that I picked up on in our conversation today is that you're really strong at just executing. Well, I never thought I'm good at executing, but I think that was probably something that medicine has taught me. Because in medicine, there's always a million things that you could be doing right now. But the way I think is always, what is the next thing I must do now to stop someone from dying? So I think I definitely have that mentality when it comes to working. Like, what is the most important things that I got to do next? That's something medicine has taught me as well. And probably working with people. Because in medicine, you have to work as a team. It's not a one-man's job. You have to learn to delegate. So maybe I'm quite comfortable delegating different tasks. I know you've hired a team mm. around you now, and that's also giving you the flexibility to not be so hands-on with the business. Tell us a bit more about that, because I think sometimes that's also the hardest part, right? Is delegating mm. and making sure that the mm. quality is still you know, very, very good. How do you think about delegating? When there is a task, I always think, do I have to do that task? Can I give it to someone else to do it? If the question is, no, I have to do it. My next question is, can I train someone to do it? And I always think I'm not very talented. There are so many people better than me at so many different things. For example, in terms of designing, I know that that's not my strength. It would take me ages to do it and probably not a very good job. So I'm like, oh, let me find someone who's better at doing that task than me. And how do you find these people? So I started off at internsg.com, just posting online and hiring my first intern. Actually, the first step that pushed me to starting hiring is not so much about thinking about delegating because that time I already delegated some of my tasks online to some virtual assistant. The thing that pushed me to start hiring my first intern was that I was feeling so lonely because <laughs> I was in Singapore. I was in lockdown. At the time, I just finished coaching a lot of students. They all got their offers. Their exams are all done. So I suddenly went into this period that I don't have someone that I talk to regularly every day. Mm. And building an online course, I started to go into that doubt. Be like, oh, do people like this? I was in such a lonely situation. <laughs> that I just, when I talk to someone about it, but my imposter syndrome make me feel like, oh, my friends don't want to hear about this. This would be boring. So I thought I would hire someone to listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. Sometimes entrepreneurship is a very lonely journey. My biggest advice is to hire someone as soon as possible because there will be days that you don't feel like doing anything. But the moment you start paying someone, you will think, do I want to pay for that person to do nothing with me? <laughs> Then you start to think about, is that something that she can do? But then the moment she start working, then you'll be like, oh, I feel bad. Let's just work together. It's a very good way to make sure you stay motivated and keep yeah. going. <laughs> honestly, my interns are my best coach and they're amazing people. Honestly, I learned so much from them. That's super awesome. So I wanted to ask you a question that I asked all of my guests, which is, you know, in the Western world, a lot of people say, follow your dreams and eventually the money will come. Whereas I think in Asia, there's a lot more expectation around following a more traditional career path. I feel like this is a very interesting question for you because it's not like you have left behind being a doctor to mm. pursue business yourself, mm. but you're actually doing them both at the same time, or that's the goal anyway. So I kind of wanted to hear what your thoughts are, are on this statement. Mm. I think following your dream, following what you're passionate about is will be what makes you happy. But what makes you happy can, but doesn't have to make you money. If you want to make money, you have to follow a system. And that's why a traditional career path. And I think if you want to follow your passion and make money at the same time, you could totally do it. But you need to understand that you can't just wake up and feel like, oh, I feel like doing A and I'm going to do it. All you got to do is figure out which direction you want to go into. What is your passion? What do you want to go into? And go and use a system to make money out of it. Use a system to generate success. Use the same kind of effort you would put in your traditional career pathway. It's not that the moment you follow your dream, you don't have to put in effort. If you put in the same effort you put into your traditional career pathway, I'm 100% sure you'll make a thousand, a million more. I never expected financial success. All I wanted was to see students emailing me telling that the results has got better. Thank you. 
That's all I wanted. But I follow my passion of teaching and I follow a system. I learn from people who did well. And yeah, that's how I find myself in a really good position. I really love that answer. That may be my favorite answer so far <laughs> of every single guest who has come onto the show and who have answered this question. I think that's a perfect answer to uh, this question is like, yes, you can follow your dreams, but you also have to be realistic around it and that you are able to put frameworks around it so that you set yourself up for the highest probability of success. So I really, really like the way that you phrase this. <laughs> Maybe I should phrase it better. Like if you follow your passion, you'll be happy. If you follow a system, you would get financial success. So if you want to be happy and be financially stable, just pick something that you love and then find a system to do well. I love it. All right. So one last question to wrap up today's conversation. Any parting words or words of advice for our, our listeners today? I think whatever you want to do, just go for it. Don't be your biggest enemy. I think, again, that goes back to your strong belief around mindset as well. Yes. And like you can that also we take my often... mindset course. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I actually have a lot of parents taking the mindset course and they told me that their work performance has improved a lot. That's amazing. And if people want to find out more about you, where can they go to find out more about you? Oh, they could look up 10xstudy.com or if they search 10x, like the alphabet X, 10xstudy, Dr. Christina, they will find me. And they could follow me on Instagram, which is Dr. Christina underscore official. Amazing. Oh, and I'll Instagram. add these links onto the show notes to today's episode as well. So you guys can easily connect and learn more about Christina. Well, it was really wonderful talking to you today, Christina. Thanks for Same. sharing your career journey with us and for all the advice that you've given us. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, that was really fun, Jen. We should do this more. And there you have it, my conversation with Christina. Here's a couple key takeaways that I got from this conversation. One, when building your business, one of the more difficult things to determine is pricing. So I really loved what Christina said when she mentioned that once she started charging higher prices, she actually got higher quality students who were more committed and those students actually got way better results. I find this so interesting and also quite comforting because we often worry that we might lose out on clients if we sell our products at too high of a price. Two, don't let imposter syndrome stop you from starting something. You actually don't need years of experience in order to teach someone. It's sometimes very easy as a beginner to wonder, what do I even have to teach someone? How could I possibly start an online course or a YouTube channel? But actually, you have the most to teach someone as a beginner because you actually understand the struggles that your customers are going through the most because you have just gone through them yourself. So don't let your level of experience stand in the way of your own success. And lastly, how do you balance between being happy and financially stable? Follow your passion, but be diligent with setting up a framework and a system to ensure its success. And put in the same amount of work as you would in a traditional career. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Control Alt Career. Check back in here in two weeks time for the next episode where I'll be doing something a little bit different. Instead of interviewing someone who has left their corporate job, I thought it might be an interesting change to bring in someone who has both a successful corporate career and is balancing their career with a very successful side hustle. So in two weeks time, I'll be sharing my interview with Amanda Chong, who has managed to build an impressive career as a lawyer, but also balance not just one, but two side hustles as both a poet and also running a nonprofit. And if you liked today's episode, do hit subscribe and share with two friends who maybe aren't so happy with their corporate job and need a little extra inspiration. I do also have a one-on-one -on -one career coaching program, so if you're not feeling too hot about your corporate job or you're feeling a bit lost and don't know what else you would even want to do, feel free to reach out to me or follow me on Instagram at ongjennifer underscore for more career-related inspiration. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. I'll see you guys in two weeks.